Aloha, friends. I'm Matthew Gray, and welcome to 50 Tastes of Gray. Get ready for a heartwarming reunion and an entrepreneurial journey like no other. This is going to be a lot of fun because I welcome the incredible Tawn Holstra Austin. Tawn is a dynamic speaker, consultant, and creative entrepreneur with over 40 years of business experience. In a rare twist of fate, Tawn and I reunite after nearly five decades, bringing a nostalgic and special connection to this very episode. Tawn's story is one of resilience, creativity, and the pursuit of dreams. Join us for a pitch-perfect episode filled with laughter, reminiscence, and the warmth of rediscovered friendship. I know you'll enjoy the show. If you want to keep up with my whereabouts, just visit lovelife.com to keep up with 50 Tastes of Grey. Enjoy. Wow. It is so good to see you. Can we make mention that we've known each other for like uh, over a half a century? Yes. Gosh, it's been that long. I know. Yes, definitely. So this is like going to be like a reminiscence kind of experience for us and not only business and pleasure. And I've been really looking forward to it very me much. Me too. So. You know, before we begin, let me just start the day by asking you, what have you eaten today? I had a bagel and cream cheese with lox and capers, no red onion or tomatoes, because I'm in Seattle and they don't even really make bagels here. <laughs> right, right. But what about red onion and tomato? Oh, that's in New York. Okay. Yeah. Well, that sounds really good. So that's all you've had? Yes. And then I had some um, tea and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a cup, one cup of coffee, decaffeinated, of course, with um, oat milk. I'm a bit of a vegan, except for Nova. I eat fish every once in a while, but otherwise I'm, I consider myself not entirely vegan. My daughter really gets on me about that because I eat honey and okay. I still wear leather shoes. Although I have started converting some of mine, I have a couple of bamboo shoes, <laughs> a couple of sets of bamboo shoes. Yeah. So is it vegan mostly based on ethical reasons and, and related to the environment? Partly related to the environment, more health reasons. Well, let me ask you, I want, I want to explore a little bit because you talk a lot about food here. Where do you get your protein intake when you're on a vegan diet? Um, mostly I'm going to say hummus, uh, chickpeas, uh-huh. pea protein in general. I will use a powdered protein at least once a week if I'm strictly vegan. I'm not a big believer in the human body needs so much protein like like what people believe. There's a lot of people who think you have to have like 40 grams of protein a day or something crazy. I probably get 20, 15 or 20 grams a day. And I'm pretty careful about it, but I don't always count. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to know. Going back all the way to high school days, I don't know if you can remember mm-hmm. that far back. Uh, I can barely. They tell I me I had yesterday. a good time. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Were you at the famous Quaalude party at Andy's house? I believe I was one of the hosts. <laughs> oh, good. So, yeah. you see, I don't even remember that. I remember just being a babysitter and taking on that role while everyone else hey, was I doing it. I can't you're putting this on a podcast, but I hear you. <laughs> I'm going with you, Matt. Hey, you know, it's like it's a whole different world now, Tawn. I'm clear. Well, actually, maybe I don't know, but I'm, I'm trusting you there. Okay, yes, I do remember it. Okay. A- anything outstanding as far as a memory that you can recall? I remember streaking down the street. I was uh-huh. one of the people who was streaking down the street. Yes. <laughs> I think I was first in the pool, you know, things like that. But no, I don't remember much about, you know, remember being crowded. No. Do you remember it? Like specific? Uh, uh, yeah. I remember crowding into the shower, the upstairs shower uh, with like 10 or 20 other people. It was a huge, beautiful <laughs> oh, bathroom. I wasn't even there for that. <laughs> and uh, looking in on a few different rooms while people were doing what you might call an orgy nowadays. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of good. But I felt very responsible. Like I had a watch over everyone, like the grand protector. I 
actually appreciate that about you. I think I remember that in you my know, vague memory. Your hair was longer. Oh, my hair was like, yeah, down to, down to here. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the only reason I ask you this is because any of our old buddies who are watching this eventually are, mm -hmm. are going to be real proud of me that I asked that because, you know, otherwise just glossing over and talking about business is boring for them. Just that you remember it, you know, yeah. years later and we actually remember it. I take good notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Ton, after all these years, tell us what you've been up to and with your business and with your life and, and so on. Kind of catch us up with what you're doing. I'm in a really interesting space in life. Like, I'm really looking at what's next and do I want to be doing what I'm doing and what should I be doing and is it appropriate for what I'm my age and what does the future look like, especially given the world. And so I'm doing two things. I teach entrepreneurs. So I have two, com I have two companies already and I'm working on a project that's not involved in either of those companies. But my companies are um, Business 101 for Creative Entrepreneurs and I teach startups, very specifically only creatives and people who are, in, you know, about, they want to be great. They are great at their art and they don't know how to make a living with it. Uh. And and I am, for whatever reason, extraordinary at having people go from vision to first customers and like they can support themselves within six months and actually be making a living within a year. In two years, I'll be making 100, 150 a year. And I've had hundreds of people who have done that now. Yeah. And so I just do that. I do it once a year is my new plan. I used to do it every three months. We started a program and it was like over the top and it was busy, all crazy, busy all the time. And I started to hate that. You must have gone through that stage of being like wildly crazy, busy 24 seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I just stopped enjoying being wildly crazy, busy. And so for the last six or a year, really a year, this September, I kind of let all my staff go in that business. And I had seven staff members and four faculty, different faculty members that were just adjunct like they worked only when they were working and just examined. And now I'm running it basically myself and one other person back to basics. I went back to basics and I'm just leading that program. Launch like a pro is what it's called and still going. And I love it. I love it. It's different because I'm really there again. And I'm not just managing staff because I stopped being able to do anything in it. Have you gone through anything like that? You know, I was, I was just thinking about that time in life. Probably you were there and I definitely was there when I was creative, but I was not a business person and I had to develop some sort of a bridge to get from the creative to the business side to be able to be successful. So yes. at what point in life were you that creative, that artist who didn't know what the heck was around the corner as far as the business world and how did you bridge that gap? I think I kind of always was the creative. I really suffered most of my life and career um, of being like really left, trying to be right brain, like going to a regular nine to five job and then trying to be creative. You know, I was singing at the beginning, then I went to acting and then I went into writing, but I never had any real success with any of it. And then I, you know, I was very big into landmark. Oh, right, I a, right. I was a, I was a course leader. I mean, I'd be, I was there for 35 years. I, I, I ran the departments. I was, I was a big, big person there. And what I mean by big person is I was there invested, very heavily invested in my, in my time and energy and led programs. So this is where I worked basically for many, many, many years of my career. And I left in 2009, basically when I retired. Is it true, any, any part of this, what I'm about to say true, that people were limited to be able to go to the bathroom while during a conference? In the original S training, mm -hmm. it was the design of the program to mostly to wrangle people's brains, minds, I will say the word mind, not brain, mind into focus, to hone it into focus, um, allow having people not pop out of the room whenever they were uncomfortable was part of it. Yes. And so what it turned into for people in their mind was, well, I'm not allowed to pee, but they agreed to that. 
the beginning, you know, they were, this is not like they're not aware. Nobody's in jail. People will leave the room and go to the bathroom if they're going to pee in there. You know, it's not, a, it's not true that they're not, the door's not locked. When you got to go, you got to go. You got to go, you got to go. <laughs> but, um, but it was more about that people are what I call them weaselly. They're not even squirrely. They're like weasels. Uh-huh. <laughs> trying to get out of shit, you know, getting their right. mind out. So, yes, we didn't wear watches. We didn't go to the bathroom, didn't talk in our seats to our neighbors. I mean, it was like, you're paying attention or don't be there. So that was that way. Does that in any way seem odd now when you look back? It could never be done now, the way it's done. Uh-huh. You know, the, the company has been purchased by the employees in the 90s, and it's evolved in many, many ways. And when you look back now, much of what we did, I was there most of that time. So I was started in 76 and just completed in 2009. So for like 40 years, 45 wow. years. Um, and I still participate. I was up there Friday, but the process is different and majorly different. The message is the same. The end outcome of the program, which is now called the forum is very similar, if not as potent, but it's not anywhere near like that. No, they still don't want you to have coffee in the room, you know, please bring water only. But we didn't even have water at our chairs back then. Like it wow. was strict in the beginning. Yeah. You must control crazy. your bladder. You must control your bladder. And, you know, people were, we were different as, as a culture. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it was right. I just don't, it worked. It really worked. Did it work based on it being a technology, a psychology or technique kind of based course? These are interesting questions. It's not psychology based. It's not based in anything. It's ontological. It's the study of being. Okay. And knowing. How do people know? How do you teach that? That's a good question. And that's partly why why the environment is so crystal clean, because anything will mess with that. And they teach it in a conversation. It's really designed in an inquiry, when in an, inside of a question of like, who are you? How are you designed? What's real? Nobody tells you what to think there. Nobody tells you what to do there, except to please stay in your seat, stay awake, <laughs> but things like that. But even that, you know, if you fall asleep, the most you're going to do is stand up in the back and like nobody's going to poke you like a bear or anything. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's very soft. In my, you know, in, in the way it's done, it's very gentle. It's not, it's not the same strict rules, of, of, but um, for some people, it's the first rules they've ever come across. What was a metric you used to measure someone's success as a student of this and also as mm. the educator side of it? Wow. No, I haven't been there in a long time now, you know, like 15 years. Yeah. But I'm going to say my, at the time, I'm going to say my biggest metric was, did they get what they came for? Like, you know, mostly people do it for something, like they're working on their marriage or they're Kids don't talk to them anymore, or they're unhappy in life, or something. They want to change careers and they don't know how to do it, or whatever. Whatever it could, anything could be well, mm-hmm. well-being, vitality, literally any area of your life. And I'll tell you a short story as soon as I finish this conversation. This one is that. Um, so the metric I would use would be, yeah, did they accomplish that? And and I would ask them. I mean, I knew every single person's name that I let that in the room. I I was very. I mean, I literally would have talked to at least at least once to every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I measured it. It was very, I guess, a personal experience on some level. Plus, of course, if they went into another program, you know, that they were they satisfied enough that they're still participating, you know, are they sharing it with people in their lives? That's an area that people get really agitated about. You know, are they sharing it with people? Because they think it's about bringing like that person sales, sales and that kind of move. Right. But really it was about, are you letting people in to the transformation you're having? You're transformation is going to disappear if you can't let people around you participate in it. You know, just like anything, if you think you're going to be a 
you know, a, a movie star, which was big where we grew up. Oh, yeah. You know, you're going to be a movie star. But if nobody else knows that, they're not going to think of you for that. They're not going to even know that's what you're interested in. And so if you're not sharing with people, and mo- many people think that they can transform themselves and never have to talk to another person as long as they live about it, but it doesn't last. It, you know, that's, it literally will evaporate. We exist in our conversations with people and our friendships and our relationships. And as I get older, that makes it much more real than ever before mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. So there's a big sense of community, obviously, that must have taken place for these people to then be able to go out and market slash share their experiences. Yeah. See, I would really take market out, marketing out piece uh-huh. out of that. Because to me, if I wanted to just have them bring people as a course leader, and I would tell them this, because is I, I have free tacos in the back of the room. They know nothing about the program. Why would I have them represent the company? Right, right. Like they're terrible at it. <laughs> if you're giving but, out free tacos, you're going to attract a lot of people. Exactly. You know I mean? <laughs> if I just want warm bodies in the room, I could do a better job. Right. Well, um, what we're looking for is having having them, are they making a dent in transforming their life, not just their experience of themselves, but actually their their actual life? Did they talk to their boss about that? Did they talk to their wife or husband about that? Did they, you know what I mean? Yes. Are they getting out there in their life or are they just continuing to do it in their head and not actually getting anywhere? Oddly, Matt, it's also critical to business. You know, the entrepreneurship class I teach, there's a whole... After I have them, you know, after we go through the whole thing and they build their offer and they're like, they actually know who their customers is and what, what they're, and they're excited about it because it's all linked to their passion. And then the next one is share it. I want you to share it with 10 people and get this feedback. Ask these questions. Nothing. Wow. It is the hardest thing for them to do it. They, most, several people will quit their businesses before they will share, open their mouths and risk themselves. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Close a business. How do you find people who are creatives? and entrepreneurs who are trying to do a startup, how do you identify your demographic to be able to then teach them how to identify theirs? Well, how I do it is I pick who I want to work with. I don't, I'm not that passive. I'm not identifying Mm -hmm. a market out there. I'm picking a market and that's what I have them do. If I want to work, if I'm interested in nutrition, as I'm a, say I'm a nutritional coach or something like that, I'm a health Mm -hmm. coach. And if I'm trying to figure out what my market is, I would look at what my passions are. So if I'm interested in babies and young mothers, that would be a market. But I also might be interested in um, children's nutrition or, but my, but my first, like I could be interested in 20 things. I'm going to pick one though for this, for my course, you have to pick one market. We teach a method that people can learn as Disneyland. Mark, that what you're learning, there's a method. You're not stuck there forever. You're learning how to something. And so you pick a particular market, like moms with small children. And then I look at where are they? First, what do they dream about? Who are they? We get to know them, like really know them. Most demographics will be, you know, their age, their education, their household income, like that crap, which is important, but so veneer thin, uh-huh. it means nothing. It means nothing to what people are going to do, like in action. I look at what do they dream about? What mm-hmm. are they passionate about? What do they care about? Why do they have a seven pound dog? If that's what, like my favorite example is the person who has a seven pound dog and they need dog clothes. And this woman sells dog clothes. I have a client like this. She sells dog clothes for seven pound dogs. And the dog is this big. I'm not joking. It's smaller than a loaf of bread. And the challenges for those dog owners are actually quite big, <laughs> no pun intended. And so she is quite successful at where are, where's her market? They're at the dog park or they're the groomer or they're the vet. And we go for those places and figure out how to, you know, I might meet with the vet and this is what we do. And this is when we have tiny dog, Pamaha. if you have tiny dog patients, we would love to support them. Something like that. We put out flyers where we start to really look for our clients physically, 
moms of small children are at the gym. They're at the grocery store. They're at mommy and me. You know, they're places. They're physically somewhere. That's where to market. We don't put things out on bulletin boards and just randomly throw things out. We're looking for our clients and we are engaging. And so we figure out what makes them tick. If you're identifying or pre-identifying your marketplace for people you yeah. want to coach or help, do you say, okay, uh, I'm going to go to a cat cafe and, and speak to the owner of that place and see how I can help her or him or them? No, I could do that. I don't uh -huh. have to do that because I'm looking for people who don't have businesses yet for the most part. They're in the struggle part. Like I'm sitting at my kitchen table trying to figure out how to sell lawnmowers, you know, or fix lawnmowers. I want to fix uh -huh. lawnmowers for a living. We, we say, if you want to be good in business, find out what your community needs and provide it. Then when you find out what your community needs, then look to your passions. What do you want to provide of these options? But your yeah. community, every small community needs something. Most businesses need like 300 customers. They don't need millions of customers. People don't realize that. 10, if you have a hundred people sending you $10 a month, that's $10,000. Doing okay. So a hundred dollars, if you have a hundred people, and it's simple. If I say, can you do something worth $10 a month? And I'm asking you, Matt, do you think you could do something worth $10 a month? Are you talking to me? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Do something, any, but everybody says yes. $10 uh -huh. a month? Yes, of course I can. Then it's, can you find a hundred people? Yeah, that's probably the more difficult question yes, to answer. Yes, but 100 people is not actually very many. Right, you right. About, you know, 10 is a 10 is 100, 100, no, 10 is the, is that right? 10 times 10 is 100, 100, maybe I'm doing my math wrong. Let me get my calculator. Yeah, I think it's 100 times 100. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Because otherwise, a 10 times 1,000, 10 times 100 is only going to be 1,000. Right, right. Yeah. So... It's Don't go into seven. the mathematics game. <laughs> the math is where it all comes together. But in your question about how I find my clients is I'm associated yeah. with unemployment offices, oh. workforce, vocational schools. People just went through vocational school. Now they want to start a business. What do they do? They don't know how. And uh, so I will work with, because I was a contractor. I'm very familiar with that business. I've been in publishing. I'm familiar with that. I'm familiar with a lot of things. Uh, personally, just from starts and failures. I have lots and lots and lots of failures under my belt. Oh, yeah. I've made every mistake people can make. Every, every, I mean, I'll probably make new ones, but I'm really trying to make less mistakes. I rarely make the same mistake twice. So sorry, I feel like I'm talking too much. No, that's really good. How, so how do you find the wherewithal to be able to identify, let's say, somebody going to a vocational school, learning to become a culinary arts major with mm -hmm. dreams of opening up a restaurant? How's the deal made and mm -hmm. what's the incentive? saying to that person that you approach that you're going to charge them, it's only going to cost them X number of dollars to be a part of your program. Or do you say, yeah. I'm going to take you and mentor you, put you under my wing. And when you become successful, you'll pay me. No, I don't do that. I, I, we charge monthly when you can pay for the year. Uh -huh. Most people say a year. My, the, I have one client who's been here longer than a year, Yeah, but he's also like just brought his wife home. I bring people to, I don't scale. I don't deal mm -hmm. with that whole agency of scaling. That's a that's just a different coach. And there's many of them that are brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't, it's not my thing. I want to help the people who are suffering, like myself. When I was failing and failing and failing, I wish there was a coach for me that wasn't outrageously expensive. You know, when I went to coaching, everybody wanted $400 an hour. And that was 20 years ago. That was a lot of money. See, so yeah, I almost cursed. Right. When we're <laughs> creatives and artists who are failing, we don't have money at all, right. we don't have dollar one to invest in someone who can help us. Right. So I charge $200 an hour. Uh, I charge $200 an hour, but I charge $200 a month 
too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My program is, uh, there's hundreds of videos online, reliable at this point. It's, I started in 2008, so I'm trying to do the math in my head, but right. it's a long time ago, 15, 16 years, um, coming on 16 years. The uh, thing is, so there's a lot to it at this point. We've had, you know, I've had um, accountants come in and do six months of hourly long classes with us for nothing for them. We have, we had graphic artists, people coming in. We have web artists, people when they were all called the experts. There's an expert portal with all these videos there, you know, uh, of questions that people ask over and over and over again. That's how I started. What are the things I was constantly saying the same thing, same thing, same thing. I started videotaping and the same answers because I was just sick of it. You know, you can't say the same thing every time. And I run groups. I prefer groups. Groups work better. They get, they learn faster. Everything is different in a group. It's much better. Are you teaching Mm -hmm. technique or philosophy? Are you teaching communication? What exactly would you say if you were to take a sector or a slice of life, what it is that you're teaching an accountant who maybe you don't have an account, accounting background or what it is that you're teaching a digital artist and maybe you don't have digital artist background. So yeah. what exactly are, is it your course contains? It's, I lo- I'm loving these questions. These are probably the best questions I've ever had about what we do is um, we teach some technique, but mostly what we teach is unstoppableness and focus. And I say that here's here's what we design. So here's the story. Remember I said I was going to tell you a short story? We teach what's co- called nonlinear. And this is the same as Landmark, okay? Exactly. Riding a bike, I'm just going to give you a riding a bike analogy, is simple but basic. You may have heard it. When you learn to ride a bike, so when you, when you, most of what we know is linear. I'll say it this way. Most of what we learn and how we learn is linear. I also have a, a master's certificate in what's called ontological design. Cognitive sciences is basically where, where it stands, but my, my areas in linguistics. And then I have those 35 years of transformational work with, with Landmark. Mm-hmm. So in the background of that, so I've studied Piaget and linguistics. I've studied so much background. And so where we designed the program from was that people get lost. I mean, I've watched thousands of people. They start a business and then they get online and they have like so many choices. So I'd say it's curated. It's very specific. Every single class is moving the ball down the field till you have a customer in 14 calls, 14 hours of work with me. So that's 14 to maybe four or five months. Mm -hmm. And they should have their first customer by then. That's the target, the goal. How we do that is staying on track. So when they say, oh, but what about this? What about that? We just answer the questions and give them a task. Stay on task. Stay on task. What comes up? So are you familiar with George Leonard? No. George Leonard is an Aikido master who wrote a book about mastery. It's tiny. It's like the smallest little book. It's smaller than my palm, right? And this tiny. And um, and it has a quote from about a dojo, working in a dojo that I use all the time, which is in the dojo, we're facing an opponent. I'm not going to get the quote straight right now, but mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the context. In, in the dojo, we're facing an opponent that's not an opponent, but a partner in showing us how we react so somebody hits us, we get to see our initial reaction, not just what we're trained to, like, ideally you want the training to show up, but what's likely to happen is, is a reaction. And in a dojo, you're training yourself to see the reaction. So it's not, it's not, it's actually teaching you what you need to do and how you need to grow. And so every conflict, every challenge that comes up when you're starting a business is the same. It's not a problem. It's a what's next. For entrepreneurs, I know most of them think that that eventually that's going to go away. Mm -hmm. That 
getting hit by challenges never goes away. If you're an entrepreneur, that's what your job is, is to overcome the challenges. There's nothing else to do. You have, oh, my credit line got canceled. I need more money to come in. What are you going to do about that? It's not, oh my God, I have to close my business. That's you know, how do you grow? That's all we teach. We teach people how to get through that, navigate the things. They hate this. I don't want to do this like the sharing. I have a lot of conversations with people and I teach from, you can do it. There's nothing about you that can't be done that you can't do. Nothing I'm asking. And I, what I don't teach, what you also pointed out is any of the legal stuff. I know my own experience. I mm-hmm. do teach them what I know. But I, I'm clear I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lot of things like that. And so we, that's why I brought experts in. Like, if you need that, I need to make sure you're getting this, that state's law, not my right. opinion. Right. And so I'm careful with that. And if it gets too deep, I just call it, have them call somebody else. But, um, but as far as keeping them, developing themselves as an entrepreneur, it's more, I would say, ontological. I focus on who they're being, mm-hmm. not... On. Oh, so coming back to that bicycle thing is the bicycle, you get on that bike, you pedal, you fall, you pedal, you fall. We don't really know how to design. And then that's nonlinear, right? You're in the nonlinear learn. We know how to study, learn, and then apply. That's linear learning. High school, you study, learn, and then apply your education. However, that doesn't work for everything. Those blind spots of success and failure, like the things you can't see. Why am I getting this result? I'm doing everything right. Why am I getting that result? That's a non-linear issue. And we have piled linear on top of it. Every bookstore has a thousands of books on how to handle stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't work. You've read a million. I've read a million. I have them. <laughs> well, just like education, the educational system is pretty much similar to memorize, spit out what you memorize, and then forget it for the rest of your life. That's exactly what I'm pointing to. That's non-linear. That's linear. Right. Non-linear is where an aha happens. And you don't really know where it came from even. That's the problem. We don't know how to direct it on us, but that's, so the bike is you pedal, you fall, you pedal, you fall, you pedal, you fall. At some point you pedal, you pedal, you pedal, pedal, and then you're a bike rider. Like, mm-hmm. What happened? You don't know what happened, but can we, but there was a moment when something did happen that transformed us for all time. The thing, like you just said, we forget linear education. Like the next morning, you can't remember half of what you learned but you got an A on the test. And with nonlinear, you never forget it. If you don't ride a bike for for 25 years, you don't wonder if you can ride it. You might be wobbly, but you you know you can do it. Somebody pushes you in a pool. You don't wonder if you can't swim anymore because you didn't swim for 10 years. You know know it's there. Language, music, there's certain things that we learn nonlinearly. It's really natural for us. And I teach from there. Everything I teach, even my parenting, like everything comes from there for me. Yeah. Would you agree with me that much of what we retain as far as knowledge is set in place in a more indelibly uh, stamped way when it's connected to an emotional sequence in life? I think especially bad things, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, the word unstoppable. How do you teach that? That sounds like a motivation. How do you get someone to put their balls on the line when life is tough (laughs) and get past that? How do I teach somebody to put their balls on the line? I can't, I can only encourage them to do that and let them know that it's going to work. I mean, I can teach from my experience that it works. Yeah. If you take the risk, it's going to work. I also, and again, because I just have so many years of experience in this, that I can really trust that it will work for them. And I'm not mm-hmm. guiding them like, oh yeah, step off that bridge. The water's not that cold underneath it, right? But I won't be responsible for the consequences. 
I will not be. I mean, that's like an, a commitment on my part. So I say, so I'm very careful if that if they're not if they don't feel like they're ready, I don't want them to blow up anything. Like I don't mm, always right. tell people to go talk to a boss because they think that they have some chip, you know, they want to get something complete with their boss. I don't think that's a good idea. Certainly. <laughs> maybe, maybe slow that down a little bit until you're really clear what might happen. Cause you might let get left let go from having a really direct conversation with your boss, even if it's true. Right, right. And so you don't want to I'm fairly careful about shit like that. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tried so hard. Oh, you must watch your mouth, young lady. (laughs) How do you take a person who's very good, let's say, in watercolor or he or she makes candles, but they don't know the first thing about how to work on their computer and all they can do is send a text message, but they need all these other aspects of business. They need to know how to develop the next step. How do you set that path for them or help them understand that there's a map that we need to follow and there are things that we need to do. The first program, the first class I have is an orientation and I talk about all that stuff. I just have to lay it out how it's, yeah. and when I'm talking about being with me, I'm pretty clear about, you know, if they're going to be in this program, I'm pretty straight with people. I mean, I have to be so that they know what they're getting involved in. I'm not the ordinary coach. Uh-huh. And I also put my elbow to the, you know, I put my shoulder to the wheel with my clients. You know, if they need something, if they're looking for Hamaha, I'll look for it. I'll find it. You know, and when they really need something like the tech, I'm sca- I just scheduled a tech person to come do a 45 minute uh-huh. or half an hour talk and Q&A for, for my group. And I'm going to announce it. We have about 300 people that are on our email list. Very Not very, you know, it's not the thousands and thousands of our direct email, like participating clients. The, whoever wants to come to will come to it and, and get what they need that way. Yeah. And if they will need to work with her, they'll pay. They, they won't right. pay me. They'll pay her. Yeah. They can hire her directly. I just bring experts. Yeah. If I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in everything. That's good. So you're delegating your authority to them. people who who know what they're talking about and what they're doing, so they can help teach that for you. I also vet them for price. Uh-huh. I don't want these baby entrepreneurs to be given the five thousand dollars. They don't need a five thousand dollar website. They need a five hundred dollar website right, right now. They need a three page website that takes you a hundred dollars a page. Any more than that. I'm going to have a problem with that person. And so I tell them to run everything through me if they're going to spend money. Just come to the call with a question. Bring your questions, bring your questions, bring your questions. Because I don't, they, they make mistakes, you know, otherwise, and they spend money unnecessarily so much. Mm-hmm. It's unnecessary. I'm sure you've started businesses m- multiple times. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you so have a lot of money. How do you help people understand what the step-by-step process is about the yeah. $500 website and the uh, the $100 coach instead of $1,000 coach? How do you get that through to them? Is it all based on like what they can afford at the time? I don't have uh-huh. to get through them. You know, they have their own motivation. I'm not, I, I'm very, I, like they bring themselves to the call. I'm, I'm not trying to do anything to them. If they don't, you know, if they, they have to want it. You know, just like anything you're you're committing yourself to. I'm mean, like, if you look at a gym trainer, if the person drags their ass around the gym, even though they're working with a trainer, it, if the trainer doesn't say something, that's on the trainer, not on the right. person. Right, you know? right. So I don't know how other people deal with it. But for me, I just cut cut the crap it. If you want to be in the program, are you not going to take, if you're not going to sell anything, you're not going to talk to people, you're not going to sell anything. Right. So if you're not going to talk to people, you're not going to find out what you need to know. So I don't you don't have to do it but you're not going to go anywhere from this point on you're on your like kind of on your own show the cup the classes but i can't help you if you're not going to do the work that's where i'm at so when you begin a training is it sort of an online class and if so how do you describe that structure and format 
for any of your members and, and the training resources that are going to be involved with that? The training resources are online. But do you do live calls with groups? Oh, yes, every week. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, well, that's the 14 calls. So there's 14 calls in Launch Like a Pro. I do have, you know, there's Market with Heart. Is that one-to-one? One-to-one calls or group calls? They're group calls. Ah. So yeah. how many people might be on a group call? No more than 15 on any one call. It's enough for you I'm to be able about, to handle. Usually around a dozen, uh-huh. between, between three or four and to a dozen, depending on the class. So do you need a co-facilitator? Like I just started one. It's pretty small. I think it has four people in it. Okay. So that's yeah. even much easier for you to manage than a group of a dozen, right? Or is it pretty easy to handle 12 people at a time? Oh, oh, it's completely, it's, yes, it's fine. It's, it's very easy. Actually, I find uh-huh. the, the groups of around 10 or 12 are, because um, I also buddy them up. So they talk once a day mm-hmm. to, to, with a person that they're with the entire program. That's their buddy. They get accountable for each other in moving them along and not waiting for the phone call with me. Right. They have a boatload of resources (laughs) (laughs) online. Like there's all the books. I recommend a lot of reading. I recommend a lot of engagement. But we also have, like I I have an association with a VA company because I've used them many times. And so if they need a VA, if they want somebody to do something regularly for them, we've at one point had a VA for our company Mm -hmm. that just was on, did a coaching call once, did did an experts portal call. And she coached them on Canva. Oh, yeah, right. Things like that. You know, things that are just coming up. The thing I find really uh, most challenging for me is that new technology is always being invented. And like last year when I, my staff used to keep up with that, I used to keep up with it. Then I hired staff and for like three years, I had a lot of people doing stuff and I wasn't doing it. I can remember have to do, I can remember anything. I can remember what to do about anything. And it was like starting over. So is that uh, something that has to do with maybe AI, which is happening right now and it's just exploding? It, yeah. You haven't even gotten that far. So people aren't really introducing that into the course of the questions and things like that with you. No, not, not so far. They're uh-huh. not technically savvy. Most of the people I work with are 35 to 40 and above. Uh-huh. They're, not, they're not the 18, 25-year-old kids that are like, they, <laughs> I don't need to seem snarky, but they, they already know everything. Oh, right. Just ask them. They're invincible. Oh, and they don't need anything from people that are older than them. I'm telling you. That's right, Boomer. (laughs) That's right, Boomer. I know it's so funny. You know, that's one of the things that's really come to light in the past three years, ever since uh, the COVID shit show began, is that everybody became a digital nomad. Everyone became a life coach. It's like these kids who are 20 are telling me what I'm going to do with my money and uh, and how to live my life. It's like, come on. (laughs) And, And they don't. And yeah, I mean, I have, I have five millennial children and they don't, none of them are going to do my class. Mm-hmm. They all have business and they don't need one thing from mom. Right, right. <laughs> That's what they're thinking. But the reality is they need lots from mom. I know, but they aren't, I'm telling you, I've been down that tunnel and I'm just like, okay, you, you do, you go. And then, oh my gosh, Michael asked me yesterday. Shh. So I just made a mistake. <laughs> So much of parenting is just letting go. Quarterly taxes on the thirty first. <laughs> I just realized it's a second, and I never answered his questions. I hope he handled it. Right, right, right. Anyway, what if somebody needs individualized support from you? Hmm. Let's say the group thing is not working for them because they're not really outgoing. They don't engage very much. They're not so good in a face to face one on you know a one on twelve. 
And if they need something like directly from mom or the teacher, how do you, how do you deal with that? Clients, I'll tell you the calls if that's useful for you. But call four is a cash flow call. We learn, they learn how to manage a cash flow projection, how to build and manage a cash flow projection. So the first, the call itself is about the cash flow projection and how to, how it's designed and blah, blah, blah. And then I send it to them. The next morning, I send them a recording of the call we just did and all of the worksheets with hot links, you know, so that they can open everything and download it and do the work. And what they, I just realized I didn't send the call today. It's Wednesday. I get to send the call. Oh, maybe we need to take a time out for Tom to get his stuff together. <laughs> get my act together. <laughs> and send me a couple um, of hot links while you're at it. <laughs> but what, um, and what, what was your question again? Oh, you know, I don't even know. No. What if somebody wants- oh, So I was uh, the call. So yeah. they get a private call after the cash flow call. Mm-hmm. A whole hour with me, every participant. So oh. that's partly, I keep them around 10. I've had calls. That, I mean, I've done groups as big as 20, 28 people was my biggest group. And in 2021 is, and it was just, and that was, even if with other coaches, I've had other people be on the call with me and I had a, a person who ran the back so that, you know, she could manage the chat room and all that crap. Right. But it, it was just unmanageable. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't, it wasn't an effective class for me. I didn't think like, more people quit that one, didn't get what they came for. And so uh, yeah, I keep them around 10. 10 is my favorite number for a class because they all are going to get that hour. They, I have to manage for the for a whole hour with each person in a certain amount of time. And so 10 hours is a lot of time to squeeze into a couple of weeks. Right. Busy. So yes, we all get a, a private call. Yeah. There's also, I used to run small business troubleshooting calls, which I've been thinking about instigate starting uh-huh. up again. Um, once a week or once every two weeks, I just and they were open to the public. They were just like, come be on a troubleshooting call and I'll answer your questions. It was an, an hour Q&A, basically. Oh, I like that. And uh-huh, it was great. I loved them. When I quit, when I let everybody go, I stopped them and I haven't really started them again. I'm kind of picking and choosing. But I yeah. think I'm going to start that because that's a place where they can just Q&A and it's from any group. Any of the groups can come to that call so that they get to see each other, you know, things like that. There's a group Facebook page so people can, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's private. But they can ask questions there and they can get like, I lost this handout or I can't get this done. Anybody know a graphic artist, that kind of stuff. Um, How do you encourage collaboration or engagement? And which do you find that is that is most vital when you're in a group setting? Because like I said before, a lot of people are unwilling to speak in front of others. So are you asking them or encouraging them to collaborate or to engage? I'm not asking them to collaborate too much, not with each other anyway. I'm asking more that they engage. You know, mm-hmm. they support each other. It's not when they're talking as buddies, it's not coaching that they're to do. It's more, you know, what are you going to, we send out a daily accountability worksheet every day, a Monday through Friday, um, like it just goes to everybody who's in, in the program and it has a context on it, like procrastination or some fun, mm-hmm. fun thing to look for during the day. And then three things you're going to accomplish in your business right. that day. And they support each other in that. And that's the that's the heart of where we start them because, you know, they don't really know each other and they don't really know anything about business at this point. <laughs> they yeah, don't know right, what they're doing right. yet. So, and so we don't ask them to do anything but just keep the ball moving. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, what type of creative entrepreneurs would benefit the most from your program right off the top of your head? The people I have right now, one is making, one's a lavender farmer. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And he has a lavender lotions. Uh-huh. He's, now he's the one who's been in almost three years. So we, well, actually, maybe it was three years already in March, April-ish, and uh, got laid off in 2020. 
and came into the program. He knew nothing. I mean, literally nothing. He was not tech. He's in his 60s. He like got laid off right before retirement, basically. Yeah, yeah. And he worked somewhere 10 years or 20 years or something. And so he had a farm and that was his thing. So we have that. And they um, and now his wife's home from work. She quit her job like a week ago now. Hmm. So they're both in it full time. I mean, he's growing like crazy. Can't He's probably making a couple hundred thousand a year at this point. So we have a woman who's making hats that are making garments for people who are in cancer treatment and have chemo and have control, temperature control issues, um, which I had no idea. Chemo handle uh, impacts temperature control. Right, right. And so they can't keep warm or cold. They can't keep hot or cold. Even if they're yeah. hot, they can't get cold and they cold, they can't get hot. And so they ha- she makes making garments that heat up and cool off. Really unbelievably cool. I have a carpenter. A handyman. He's now a contractor. He registered uh-huh. himself as a contractor. I have a photographer. That's these are current, like in the program right now. Yeah. There's a piano teacher. Like there's there are all sorts of artists. Mm-hmm. What they what they're passionate about. When you ask me where I teach from, besides the nonlinear space, is the people who want to serve their community and to make a living. It's something they love doing. I'm not I'm not the person for people who want to make, you know, I want to start a tech company. That's the kind I'm not. It's not because I don't like tech. It's just that most of them want venture capital and blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for people who want to bootstrap. They're not interested in, and they're not going to get a million dollar loan because that's not what they, they just want a simple life with a happy life mm-hmm. and a good business that pays their bills and and more, you know, put their kid through college, whatever. But still, it, it can be extremely satisfying and something you really love doing. And you don't have to go to work. You're going to something you love and it's right, yours. Right. You're not making somebody else rich. So passion strategies for creatives. Yeah, yeah. And actually making money and being successful, not yeah. just struggling like hand to mouth all the time. Because I know a lot of people like that. And, you know, and of course, true artists. But artists like painters, like I'm looking at that painting behind you. Mm-hmm. Painters, mostly I find real painters, that kind of artist, have, they have to sell commercially. Like they have to get out there. Being right. fest- festival life is very, very, very profitable. Oh yeah. People think festivals are low, low rent. They're they're not. They're not at all. You mean like uh, working the circuit as an artist? Yes, working fest like you know the summer summer. Not even just Burning Man. I'm talking about farmers markets in Olympia. Right, right. People are making two, three thousand dollars a day down there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's it's unbelievable how much people are making in festivals. So oh yeah, and and it's a great way to build a mailing list. You know, you have to, the face-to-face for six months or a year is fantastic. So you can see people, they get acquainted, you can see how they like your product. I really appreciate that. Not all products work that way. Festivals, like the hats, she's probably going to be in hospital guest, you know, gift shops and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah. And that's what I mean. I'll I'll find, you know, if I know a lead, I'll turn them around to them. If I have a client, I mean, if I have a, oh, you should meet this person, I'll turn them and I'll turn them on to it. Yeah, they get my Rolodex. That's what I tell them. Oh, that's nice. You know, yeah. might have to explain. But nobody what knows what a Rolodex, Rolodex is, is anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> People used to have that on my, on my brochure, you know, <laughs> $80 Rolodex. <laughs> the old days. Like, yeah. this is a rotary phone. <laughs> how does Business 101 for Creative Entrepreneurs, how does it help participants navigate the challenges we talked about earlier about bridging the gap between their creative side? and the business world that maybe is foreign land. You know, the, the program itself is the bridge. Yeah. And I think that's what helps them. It's not, business always, for some artists, it seems like the, the evil. This is my mm-hmm. necessary evil, especially numbers. For some, not everybody. Right, 
Right. It's a real question I ask them in the money in the money class, the cash flow class. The first thing I ask is who, who hates numbers because that's the person who's going to really struggle with it. But, yeah. but yeah. I'll talk to them. I just talk. You know, the reason I do groups, Matt, you like Matt or Matthew. I never, because your thing says Matthew. I always like what people are comfortable with. Yeah, I like Matthew. But I'll, I'll, I'll That's what my mom would say. Yes, I like Matthew better. We have to be so careful with our words these days, don't we? These days, but... Uh, well, make mention of the website. As long as we're this deep into our conversation, you yeah. might as well let everyone it's know. It's not what I was expecting, but this is great. Um, Business 101 for Creative Entrepreneurs, all spelled out. Dot com? Dot com. <laughs> That's a long-ass title. How do you oh, get that you? on a business card? Very small. Right. <laughs> Say it again, just because you know people are, are taking notes. It's Business 101, the numbers, for F-O-R, Creative Entrepreneurs. It does have two E's, Creative Ends with an E, and Entrepreneur Starts with an E, dot com. Wow. It's just literally just spelled out. I know. It was like... It's also my email address, Tawn at, which really sucks. Uh huh. Telling it to somebody, but I usually—that's why I usually say I'll send you an email. Right. <laughs> you give me yours, I'll send the email. I have the business card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's anyway, wild. It's really pretty little logo. It's like a—it's pretty cute. It's like a plant, a paint splatter. It's artistic. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'd love to yeah. see that. So, so how do you take somebody who is really creative, mm -hmm. totally awesome? Like you. Like me. But who's highly <laughs> unemployable because he or she has been running their own ship for their entire life. You know, how would I start with them? Yeah. What, do you, what, what are you passionate about? Well, let's say this person is passionate about helping others. Is that a point in his or her life where they wish to pay it forward? Yeah. Awesome. And, and I would ask them, what do they like doing? What do they imagine their life? One of the very early exercises I do with people is, is I have them journal every day for 10 mm -hmm. days for mm -hmm. 10 minutes, 10 days, and about what they want in life and what they want it to look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Have them do it for 10 days and then see the similarities. Like, what are they really committed to? Because uh -huh. then things will show up at the beginning, like, oh yeah, I want that new car, I want that. But but what I want in 20 years is, you know, I want to sit on a porch with my, with my you know, watch my grandchildren play in the yard kind of bullshit. And, um, and a lot of people like that. You know, values get very different when you get older. Like yeah. what you want in life when you're older is, you know, like, I don't want to go out and party. Right. <laughs> and when you have kids and family and you're raising something, it's different. It's not designing a business when you're single and 30, you know, 28, whatever. Yeah. So I've talked a lot about people's values, like what matters to you? What's important to you? Why do you care about? That's one of the real questions I ask. Why, why do you care about that at all? Like, what's in, why is it important to you? And um, in those conversations, people start to hear what they're saying. Like, people don't, like, you ask me great questions. People don't ask people, good, like, the, the questions about mm -hmm. what matters to them. They ask questions about how can I make, that's what most people come to me like, how can I make money? Well, well, I can make you money, but you won't be happy. Well, that's, you know, for some people, that's a worthwhile trade-off. Well, not my client. Right. That, right. That's, that's, a, that's a black and white for me. If you don't want to be happy in what you're doing, if you just want to mm -hmm. make money, go get a job. Yeah. You have to own a company to do that. Let's shift gears for a second. Yeah. When was the last time you Googled yourself? Oh, a long time ago. <laughs> I used to do it a lot when I first started getting press in like the in late 90s. Uh -huh. and, and not since. I have not. I have no idea. Okay, so Why you don't keep bad? up to date. No, it's just like, it's just one of those kind of random questions. Do you have any pets? Oh, no, I, I don't do that. I, I um, am members of all of those social media things, LinkedIn and shit, stuff like that. And I very, rarely, especially LinkedIn, I rarely check them. Do you have people handling your stuff? Your no. social? No. no. Okay. So you just basically no. have it, but don't 
really I, participate? I'm based, I Facebook. I mean, especially for the last year, last September, I kind of stopped everything and I was very active. We had everything automated and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, um, but when I let the staff go, I didn't, I didn't keep up with it the same way. And I just kind of wanted to see what, what was real there. What, right. and there's still engagement, but oddly there's still engagement. And so, but I needed to change gears. So I don't regret doing that. And, and I, and it's all still sitting there. I can just go pick it up and I do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get notifications for things, but yeah, I'm, I'm not big on social media right now. I mean, I'm just not, I'm not using it very much is what I mean. Right. Who's one of your favorite musical artists? Um, I've been listening to a lot of Natalie Merchant and uh-huh. Joan Armatrading lately. Joan Armatrading. Well, I didn't I didn't know there was anyone else out there who loved her. I love her and I'm particularly tweaked about this fast cars country music song that just makes me want to <laughs> you know, Joan Armatrading and country just doesn't sound right. That's wild. I, I I've known about her for probably thirty plus years, forty years. Oh gosh, I started listening to her in high school. Yeah. She, Down to zero. That's, That's right. like one of the, her first huge hits. That's wild that they. Yeah. That you I know like. About her. Um, it's not a hit. Love and affection is one of my favorites. Love and affection. I think it's on that same album. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What's the correct beverage with pizza? Beer. Root beer. Um, okay. Briefs or boxers? Do I wear? I wear briefs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was a preference thing or an actual personal <laughs> thing, but I'm glad you answered it the I way am you did. I'm pretty much a nudist, no joke. Really? Oh well, do show. <laughs> fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Oh yeah. Although I love fiction, I just haven't been reading much of it lately. My mom just gave me a new book that's supposed to be brilliant, The Pilot's Wife. That's fiction. Interesting. What one sentence would you leave for future generations that would contain the most information in the fewest words? You want to know my favorite quote? Because I, I don't know sure. how to do that without like five minutes of thinking. My favorite okay. quote is Thomas Edison. I'm a citizen. There are no rules here. We're trying to accomplish something. I like that. Who said that? Thomas Edison. Wow. Say it again. There are no rules here. We're trying to accomplish something. That's heavy. I like that. I like it because my first series of books that I wrote are called were Rule Breaker's Guides. <laughs> Rules breakers, guys. Every company I've worked for, my biggest issue with them is that I don't stay inside the lines. Well, do you think that rules are meant to be broken? Is that why they're created? I think they were created to manage things and they tend to not be in- investigated or really thought through for decades and decades and decades. And people do the same thing. Like, you know, you know the roast conversation with the cut ends of the roast. You know that silly story about the yeah. toaster oven, basically. And um, yeah, and that's how I, and the people never think about it again. They just followed the rules. So I, I'm not that way. And I never have been all through school and question authority. So if you're a question authority person, a person who doesn't really dig the whole rules thing, could you be an effective employee for someone else? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can be. I don't, I I don't tend to be anymore, but I certainly have been in the past. I mean, I can follow them. I just, they're not, just not my thing. Well, what if you're following them, but Joe Blow, who's at the other desk next to you, is not. Would you rat that person out? Would you speak to that person? How would you deal with it? Would you ignore it? No, I would not ignore it. So how would you deal with it? It depends. You know, you know, if right. he's like taking late back from lunch every day, I'm not going to deal with it. If he's messing with my ability to get my work done or the company's, the bigger picture of the company. Right, right. And then I would definitely deal with it. And I actually teach people that they should deal with it. I'm not, you know, I believe in community. Mm-hmm. I believe the community will support if if we're in it, we need to support it and not undermine it at every go. And if that person's in the community, then they would be on board with that. 
so mentioning something like, but little faux pas, I don't want, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm also not a rigid black and white, like everything has to at all. Mind you. Right. <laughs> right. My, my husband would definitely argue that I'm even <laughs> like keep my integrity in place all the time. I don't. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a difficult one, isn't it? For everybody. Is he able to handle that? He's much more like that than I am. Uh -huh. And always has been. Oh. Yeah. He's, my husband's 82. Is that right? What's it been like as far as being able to learn and get along with someone who is you know, older than you are at this point? It's been really easy. Well, no, we, it hasn't been easy, but it's not, that hasn't been the top subject, you know, issue in, until recently. It's only now that he's really facing the end of life. Like, you know, he's starting to get that, you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, it might be, might be one, but it might be money yeah. that is super healthy. He's a yogi. He was a Satchitananda disciple. Oh, is that right? So is he constantly uh, reflecting on the fundamental aspects of the human experience? Every fucking minute of my life. Yes. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Oh, yeah. You speak not from experience. Uh -huh. <laughs> it is ultimately incredible. And, you know, like, how come you did it this way? Why is it this way? I, you know, and you sometimes say, you know, en enough with this yogi stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm also really into it. You know, we're very uh -huh. into, I don't know if you know Mickey Singer's work, mm -mm. Mm -mm. Surrender Experiment, Untethered Soul. It's very popular right now. Everything is connected. You know, I find the the landmark thing, Mickey, the yogic work, and even ontological design, even that they they map on so well together. It's the vocabulary that's slightly different, but what they're saying is same with even mystic. You know, there's mm -hmm. some real intertwining that is occurring. A lot of us who take a look behind over our shoulder, we can then, at this point, we can connect the dots. We can say, ah, look at how those things connect. Mm -hmm. And that's what yeah, I think you just said. Oh, good. We're running late. I didn't want to, I didn't, because I'm glad. Can we, can we talk longer? Yes, sure, sure, okay, sure. Because I want to say. How did we not get closer way back in the day? I don't know. I was a, I turned into a druggie back then and I didn't really mean to, but I did. You, you turned into a druggie and I started off the show at the top. I asked you about where you got the Quaalude party, the famous mm -hmm. Quaalude party. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I did all my partying by the end of mid eighties. I was done. Yeah. That's about when I, I went on staff for Landmark then. So yes. Mm -hmm. And you know, and staff members and course leaders and stuff, we, we don't drink most of the time. Don't drink, don't even, drugs were completely against the laws because it was international. And I can, you know, right. if, if you pass, if you skip a P test, if you don't pass tests, you can get arrested in some countries. Right. Well, they don't even allow you to leave the room to do the P test. So, well, that's not true. <laughs> and also, as a course leader, that was never true. How much uh, of the love thing comes into the significant aspect of what you're teaching? Me? Yeah. You say love. I I I sign all my emails to my participants. Love. I love them, and they know it. And even mm -hmm. say at the end of end of the call, I love you guys. <laughs> I'll see you next week. So do you teach the importance of compassion and empathy when you're connecting with your clients and your friends? I don't know if I teach it, teach by example. Uh -huh. I don't teach it that way. I do teach them to, they, they really need to care about their person that they're picking. They need to care. I think that's the biggest, it's funny, I wasn't really prepared for like what we were going to talk about. So when you ask me questions, I'm, I'm starting to recognize things. The most important thing I teach them is that they have to care about the result their client's getting. You know, the average store, you buy what you buy and you get what you get and they do not give a crap if you're satisfied <laughs> or not. 
Right. And if you go back, the person you're talking to also doesn't give a crap that you're dissatisfied. And the person you're going to return your product to doesn't give a crap. Like the whole company doesn't give a crap. And that's all you get. When you're a one person business or maybe a three person business, you have to give a crap or you are not going to grow. Mm-hmm. And that they have to give a crap is a lot of room for growth. Then I say, you know, then when they're picking the person and well, what do they care about? All of business is about the client, not about you. It's about them. And if it's about you, then you're in the wrong business. Go get a job. Think about yourself. I don't care, but don't pretend to be into them and do a sh- crappy job. You know, or you'll they won't come back. That's the thing. Look, we work on lifelong customers who refer. Well, what happens though in this in today's modern world where we live and breathe with this computer and this device that's connected mm-hmm. to the end of our arm at all times, twenty four seven, and we live in a world that responds to reviews either negative or positive. How do you help people understand how to respond to any sort of negativity that might be around them or put in print? You know, it hasn't come up. Uh huh. Again, these people are really beginners. They're not getting negative feedback at this point. They're not right. even getting positive feedback. And mm-hmm. I'm not a big believer in any feedback is good feedback. Although yeah. negative feedback is exceptionally important at that stage in the first two years. You if know, you can learn from it, yeah. If you yes, well, but that's the intent. We we want it right at this stage. But you don't. I do not give a shit what people think, say about me, and it hasn't impacted my business. I don't market, and right. I don't have websites. I have a website for this one because I needed one. You know, there, uh, there's videos and there's stuff involved for the yeah, people yeah. since 2007, right? The year before, again, it's the 23rd, so 16 years, and I've literally never had a website. I don't need one. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, either. Conversely, then you have companies like the one that I last ran that I developed in 2004, Hawaii Food Tours, which ran till 2020 when COVID I happened. I looked that up. That was cool, though. I mean, there were some cool things you did. I really loved that. It was an amazing that. experience. Yeah. And, you know, but it relied on having a website and, and total face-to-face deliciousness constantly uh, with people. So, you but know, when I- the face-to-face deliciousness mm-hmm. is what's selling you. I'm telling right. you, it's not the website. The website is like the service place. Right. Well, it was a connector. And a brochure. A website yeah. can be a brochure. Yeah. Right, right. But I, and you, you kind of needed that. You're right. Your business would have needed a website. And most businesses do. Yeah. I just don't think, I just never needed one. Yeah, that's an outlier. In yeah. this day and age, to have a business that really doesn't doesn't I give a crap about I think our whole business is outliers. Uh-huh. I really do. I think that the way we teach, when people come to me, they're like uncertain. It's a little bit rearranging them because I think a lot of coaches coach like, oh, so what's your mission? Sorry, that's probably not, that sounds snarky also. <laughs> oh, we're all about to snark. We can do a show just on what's that. What's your mission? What's your vision? What's the first thing they do? It's a mission and values, a vision statement. Mission and vision statement. They're distinct, of course. I'm like, you don't need that. What's your message? What do you care about people? You're like, that could take a year. I know a coach. I personally know a coach who spends six months getting to a vision and a mission statement at $1,000 a month. Like, I'm not giving you $6,000 so I can find out my mission. Yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. I love that guy. And no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to people either. I would never be able to do that to my clients. I couldn't bring, right. myself, couldn't bring myself. If you were someone I would come to, I would yeah. task you with one thing to help me with. I would say, Tawn, I want to make a meaningful contribution to society and the environment. Help me. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, okay. So what kind of meaningful? What? What? Where do you see it? Where do you feel like you want to make a difference? What communities? Like homelessness, starvation, children's hunger, whatever. What's your thing? Fighting and reversing disease for others. Fighting? And f- what's the second word? Reversing. Reverse? Oh, reversing. Right. Yeah. I kept hearing like rebirth. Reversing. 
do you have somebody in your life or you that, that I want to help? Yeah. Is there somebody sick in your life that you're- oh, 50% of the people listening to us right now are fighting obesity, type 2 diabetes, and or other metabolic health issues. I want to help those 50%. Big time, right this. away. Okay, good. And you're passionate about food. Right. I've been a chef my entire life. I've been all about the food. I've been about, you know, whether it's food for seduction or food for entertainment or everything else in between, it's been about the food thing. And so I want to be able to help people be healthy now. Okay, great. So here's what I, so my first cut at that, so first I want to say you can do that. There's an absolutely, we're going to, we can spend some time off book, mind you. I, this is not even inside of Off the record, my, everybody. Program. Like just this would be like in my beginning registration, like a conversation with you is you can do that. And we will take some time. We can do it now. We can schedule another call, which would be fine. Absolutely fine. But in um, my real question for you is what do you want to do about it? Like if you imagine a future in which that was handled, what would it look like for you? What do you think? Like, is it a program? Is it education? Because if there's education involved, you can get it doing in three, four days. I could get you operational. That's how fast, because education is what people need, mostly trusted education. Does that make sense? That's absolutely right up my alley. Exactly okay, what I was thinking. Good. Yeah, so I mean, it, something it, similar to this, Yeah. to perfect. what you're doing, but in a really, really specific, narrow casted way. Exactly. And so I would say in the Launch Lake program, if you came to work with me and you did the program, what would happen is that besides the orientation, which is the how to get the most out of the program call. But then we're going to walk through the 14 sessions. The last one is what's next. So it's really 12. There's an orientation and a, we would look at how to develop that into something that suits your lifestyle, because I don't want you to build a business that your lifestyle gets so disrupted that in three years, you don't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. You're successful, but you fucking hate your business. And that happens, I'm going to say 80% of the time. Yeah. Really, yeah. really, really true. Not made up by me. Okay. Statistically, statistically, um, Matthew, I want to say most new businesses, half will close in less than a year. Like they'll just give up or they'll run out of money or whatever. They'll have to go get a job. Yeah. The success rate is, is minuscule. And the other 30% will close within another three years. No, two years, two more years. So within three years, 80% of the businesses that open this year will be gone. Why? People don't know what they're doing. I mean, that's that simple. Mm -hmm. So our, our business is specifically to walk you through the not making the mistakes, <laughs> but also most of those businesses, including Best Buy, Toys R Us, they close because of cash flow. Mm -hmm. Our whole function is going to be to get you money, making, having a customer and being able to pay your bills within a year, but you'll have a first customer within four or five months. Does that's and it'll suit your lifestyle and it'll be something that you're creating. I'm not going to create it. We'll create it. I'll be listening, but you'll be creating. Does that make sense? Sure does. Okay. So that's what I would say. How's that sound? It sounds great. I think we should collaborate on that. I'd love that. Are you serious? I would love that. I want to help Business 101 for Creative Entrepreneurs dot com uh, as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, that's awesome. I had no idea that this is how this was going to go. All the people that you're working with, all the people you come into contact with also have that 50% of their world who are involved in fucking up their health. And I want to help people unfuck themselves. You're so, you're so right. And oddly, so parts of my life that we didn't talk about is I run a homestead. It's organic. I have a garden. I have a greenhouse and a fuel, full outside garden. And uh, I don't have any apple trees. I have apple trees down the street, plum trees, nut trees, like stuff that was already here when I bought mm -hmm. the property 10, 11 years ago. But the greenhouse wasn't here. We built it all. 
I have five or six, my whole family can live here in different buildings. Like we each have our own little place. They're small. The kids' ones are really small, but they all come here for the summer uh, to be yeah. like we're all here on the properties, five acres. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's beautiful. I'll, I'll show it to you one day. Like okay. I'll take my laptop and you'll see it, but we're in, we're in the woods. Nice. What part of the world are you in? Olympia, Washington. Olympia. Your neighbor. You right. can come visit, Matthew. <laughs> I'd love to. I know. Oh, I'd love to great. you. You're in Hawaii. Where, you're in um, Big Island? Oh, Honolulu, which is Honolulu. on Oahu, which okay. is the population center. And Yeah, that's where the Arizona is, yeah. Yeah. I've been there once. Isn't it wild that we've connected and been able to make such magic? Yeah, I, this is this has been absolutely great. I've, I've so enjoyed this. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap it up now, Tom, okay. but we're going to get together really soon. What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Stuffing. Ooh. Okay, one... Final thought about Business 101 for CreativeEntrepreneurs.com. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Tell us. Tell us what you want to leave us with. I wanted to say a couple of things to you. Like I was thinking, one day I'd like to interview you. If you would let me interview you, be you on your show, I would, I'd like to ask you some questions. I love meeting with you. This has been fun. Oh, good. And, I'm, and I have, I know we could talk longer if you want more stuff, but I, um, I just think you're, I, I haven't gotten to know you very much in this. And I've really have been looking forward to talking with you. <laughs> well, I could, I could say, you know, hey, everybody check it out because Ton's awesome. I invite them to have a conversation with me. I mean, for people that you, that come through you, I'll, I'll do, I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk to me that comes through you without qualms. You know, they're not coming from the unemployment office like, or, or someplace, but I'd be very delighted to uh, talk to any of your guests. I'm glad you made that caveat because I was going to go to the unemployment office and pass out your cards. Dave <laughs> so, <laughs> Matthew sent me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you had a good time today. It was really oh, fun. Oh, God, Matthew. I had such a good time. Good. This has been great. I'm glad yeah. we reconnected. And I hope I didn't talk too much. I want to say aloha to you. I would like to say ohana to you. Very good. Yeah. I really love this. Thank you. <laughs>